0: This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in
1: Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Hello and welcome to Plato's Cave, a RRR film, criticism show and a podcast. My name is Thomas Cordwell. This week I'm joined by Alexandra Helen Nicholas and Emma Westwood. Good evening to you both. Hello. Good evening. And we'll say get well soon, Cerise Howard, who did want to be here. Cerise definitely wanted to be here, but she's been struck by something that has kept her away. There is something during the rounds. On tonight's show, we're going to look at Naruto. This is by Chilean filmmaker Pablo Lauren, And we'll be taking a look at another film classic by the Japanese master Akira Kurosawa. That's happening later on Plato's Cave. But we're going to start off with War Machine. This is a new film that's just been released on Netflix. That's how it is in two thousand and seventeen. It's a US film. Welcome
0: to the future. Oh. You're
1: going to be hearing it more and more, I think. This is a film that you won't see in cinemas. It's gone straight to Netflix.
2: They need a premiere event. They don't really do that, do they? Well,
1: that's we're getting we're getting way off topic already. But that's some of the <laughs> debate that's been Sorry. happening at the Cannes Film Festival with exactly. Netflix films. I think films we're going to get onto screening. that. Yeah. 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 Uh, I I think it's a shame that films are bypassing cinemas for Netflix. I, I would like to. See some kind of event screenings. Like, I'm heartbroken that casting Jean Bonnet was not seen in cinemas anywhere yeah. in Australia. I think that's a real shame because that nothing would have been. Beats a, a,
2: nothing beats a cinema experience, really, when it comes down to it.
1: For the picture and the sound and that communal experience. I mean, often the communal experience is what's driving us away from cinemas. And if you go to the <laughs> wrong cinema at the wrong session with the wrong crowd, it's hell. But a film like casting Jean Benet would have been amazing with a good crowd mm. to hear their response. Cool. Mm-hmm. To War Machine. Back to War Machine. This is a US film, but it's written and directed by Australian filmmaker David Michaud, who previously made Australian films Animal Kingdom and The Rover. It's a fictionalised adaptation of the non-fiction book The Operators: The Wild and Terrifying Inside Story of America's War in Afghanistan by Rolling Stone and BuzzFeed journalist Michael Hastings. War Machine tells the story of General Glenn McMahon, who is played by Brad Pitt, and based on the real life, General Stanley McChrystal. In the film, McMahon is sent to Afghanistan to bring an end to the war, a task he believes he can achieve, despite the fact that nobody else has been able to to do so or even believes it's possible. McMahon's strategies are continually delayed and blocked by the Obama government, military bureaucracy and the harsh realities of modern warfare. But that just makes him even more determined. Hmm. This is a curious film that I had trouble wrapping my head around exactly what it is. It is sort of a very critical war film it's very uh, anti-war film that is but at the same time it seems to have a lot of reverence for this character who is trying to do the right thing despite his ego getting in the way uh, but that's all tied up in what i think is a really bizarre performance by Brad Pitt <laughs> is it
0: is it the uh, <laughs> those are my
1: <laughs> those are my talking points is it the
2: that's
0: George is it the George C <laughs> Scott pattern movie cosplay <laughs> that was getting to you cuz that's what it yeah, looked you like might to be me on that, it was there? George for oh yeah. it was George C. Yeah. Scott cosplay and it was like yeah. I'm, I'm i'm not pro or anti Brad Pitt no. but i found that a thoroughly thoroughly uncomfortable performance it's like are you 5 years old like are you a little yes. kid being George C. Scott from the film *Patton* for dress-up day. I'm um, right with you there. Yeah, no, I'm right with was, you. It what was, was that? cosplay. I mean, it was cosplay. It was nothing, and I'm not dissing cosplay. I don't. Our phones lines are going to go oh, mad if people happy. think I'm dissing cosplay. Can I just say, I'm happy. I'm happy, cosplay, happy but... to
1: diss it. <laughs> it's dressing up for idiot adults.
0: Well, well oh! if, if, that's what it, if that's what it is, then Brad Pitt nailed it. Like, I'm, I'm finding, I find that that whole. Um, Brad Pitt, star persona, fight club shtick. Like, ba-ba, ba-ba, ba-ba. It's really running a bit thin. Like, we know that you can, you're can, you capable of better. Mm-hmm. And perhaps, I don't know, this film sat very poorly with me and I was really looking forward to it. And, um, you know, on the back of all of this brouhaha about Netflix and Khan, it was like, okay, so this is really the biggest film that Netflix – have you know big names big stars Nick Cave and Warren Ellis on the soundtrack yes of course um Michelle behind the camera writing it you know Brad Pitt this is a big big film star lots of money's gone into it and I was like is this it is just the best you can do. do you know what like, I think? Oh, the, the Netflix, think, the net, Netflix machines coming. ooh and it's like really,
2: it just yeah. feels I think like a TV movie. That, um, Brad Pitt produced this, might have something to say with say about it. I, I I don't look, I don't know the background of this at all, but it's to me, it smacks of Brad Pitt is producer and Brad Pitt isn't being directed. Right, and uh, they had a lot of great cast in there as well, like fantastic cast actually. um, Which is this double-edged sword of having the pit, uh, you know, the 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 might of the pit come into the pitster, the pitster come into here. This is what I'm guessing. It just felt like he wasn't being directed at all in the
0: in the scenes with um really really. Extraordinary performances by people like Meg Tilly, um, who's I just agree. a knockout in this she film. She's amazing. one of the strongest things yeah. in this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although I
1: kept on wondering, do we need this character in the film? That was, and it was but like, I was glad she was there, because she was great. It was
0: almost like are they even in the same film? Because yeah. the pitch, really. the tone, and the pitch are completely separate. And even Anthony Michael Hall seemed to be kind of drifting in and out of tone. Yep. To me, there were real tonal discrepancies mm. with this film. And Thomas, like you said, it's like I'm not. I don't really know what you're doing. I'm not really sure yeah. what this film is trying. To do. I saw it
2: described as an absurdist and I don't even think that's correct.
0: I think they've been really kind of pushing it. A lot of the pro- uh, positive press about it has been really trying to push it as, you know, Netflix goes auteur and very much a kind of Kubrick, Dr. Strangelove vibe and mm, it's like no it's <laughs> sugar no, no i don't think so
1: <laughs> yeah it's it certainly doesn't hold it. it's it's, it's it, yeah
0: it, it george c scott cosplay it, it's it,
1: more like three kings but without the action and that's the comedy. what i was gonna
0: say i was thinking yep. a lot about three Absolutely. kings in it as well and mm. it made me really want to watch three kings again yeah, which
1: is a splendid film it's,
0: and mm. the thing with three mm. kings though is that it was so specific to that particular war at mm-hmm. that particular moment and i kept thinking watching war machine even though the places that they're talking about and the battles that they're talking about and Obama, you know, there's very, very time-specific details in this. It doesn't feel like it's telling me anything different than any other war film has before. There's nothing new here. No. Except for Ben Kingsley doing a weird kind of Inspector Clouseau. So, yeah, that li- was really as weird. As the Afghan president Yeah, that, so that was really I uncomfortable. I kept on wondering...
1: Do I need to look this guy up to see whether this is a horrible caricature or whether he really is, is like he capital-
0: this? Is he acting or because is he it, just it, racist? It doesn't like, feel right that
1: yeah. that's what the Afghani president is like. There was yeah.
2: there was so much of that in here, and that that it opens really quite heavily with that narration from the Rolling Stone journalist, which is odd in itself. It's kind of this strangely laconic, disinterested narration and then it sort of peters out and that character does come in and and has a, a huge effect on the film but it still doesn't gel why that narration is in there. It was kind of just... Dumbed down, you know, telling us, trying to give us the context for why that what in what insurgency is, what counter insurgency is. It really
0: does feel like a film made by committee. There's just too mm-hmm. many, too many bits that just don't fit in. And and I really like David Nicholls' film, so I was really looking forward to this. Um, it does. If I didn't know that he had directed it, there is very little about it. So much of the press is, you know, it's an Netflix goes auteur. This word auteur is yeah. being used a lot. Would, there is nothing yeah. about this film that would have made me... Re- no, no, yeah, this is,
1: I, We still started going way off topic where we're talking about it's a pity that films are appearing on Netflix mm-hmm. and kind of getting buried if it isn't for, you know, you being on the right Facebook feed or listening to a show like this that would champion something like, say, casting Jean Bonnet. But this feels like exactly the kind of film that would get buried on a streaming service because it, yeah. it, 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 I don't think it's strong enough for a theatrical release. And, I mean, I, I kind of liked it. I, I didn't mind watching it. But it was entertaining.
2: Uh, yeah. <laughs> Strangely entertaining.
0: But and it
1: um, had its moments yeah. that made some interesting points, perhaps a little didactically. Tilda Swinton is in one scene where her character... It's actually
0: worth it for her and worth it for Meg Tilly.
1: Yeah, and Swinton's amazing in that one scene, but all her character does is kind of explains the uh, the moral quandary of the film um, in a really good way, but that's the sole purpose of that scene, to say, this is the issue this film is all about, which is, is this man who's well-intentioned, has he been um, derailed by his own ego and ambition? Is that starting to make him do really bad choices. Um, but it, just going back to the whole David Michaud thing, I, I love Animal Kingdom. I mean, that's a yeah. modern masterpiece. Mm. I thought, you know, the what is the, the Rover. I
0: love The Rover.
1: I didn't love it, but I loved a lot about it. And, and it and, felt
0: like one of his films. It felt like yeah. an auteur. You could spot, yeah. you know, like going back to that, you know, undergrad, you know, what is an auteur? You know, yeah. what is their worldview? Can you spot this film as one of their films? without knowing that it's there. But this like feels yes, nothing like, yeah, no. th-
1: th- this felt a bit like a director for hire and I think we were saying that maybe, you know, Pitt wasn't directed properly. That you know, I struggle with, with thinking that because I've seen David Michaud interviewed, I've spoken to actors who have been directed by him. I know he's a strong director. I don't
0: think the fault is on his. I think no, that maybe I Pitt is just so big that he's undirectable. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, and, and I, I like, think
1: that, I'd really uh, like Pitt as well, but I was a bit bewildered by him in this.
2: I remember um, going to a Q and A for uh, with Danny Boyle and Andrew Macdonald, um, both of them actually, for Life Less. Ordinary. Yep. And that was a film that had a, I, I felt like I could compare it to this in the way that it just was the actors, American actors run wild. It was like Danny Boyle had come off, I think they'd come off Shella and train even Spotting, train spotting yeah. at that time. Yep. Uh, so, he, you know, he was a strong director. He knew what he was doing, so forth, but went from... Britain to America and suddenly realised that there was a different process here and was completely sidelined by the process. And this is what this film felt like, whether that's what happened or not. I don't know, but that's what it felt like.
0: There was, what I kept thinking of watching this, there was a film in the 90s that was quite a big cult film called Johnny Swade, oh, yes. which nobody talks about anymore. And <laughs> oh, yeah, they don't um, do that. It's one of those Brad lost P- films. Yeah, it is. I can't remember the di- – I've got a cold, so I can't remember the director's name. It's actually beautiful. Nick Cave is in it with a giant white quiff <laughs> eating,
1: Nick Cave is amazing eating fried chicken <laughs> and Johnny he's amazing. Swade, yeah. Like If you're
0: a Nick Cave fan and you haven't seen Johnny Swade, thank us later because it Tom will change your life. It's Tom Thank you. It is Tom DeSillo. <gasps> because well then done. he made
1: – it's the Steve Buscemi film he made afterwards. This is where I'm going. Yes, is that, okay. So he made
0: this film with a very young Brad Pitt who was sort of, you know, uh, an emerging star at this
1: point. Probably just off Thelma and Louise. The, yeah. Was his, yep. which was and, then, and then he yep.
0: made a film straight after, which I can't remember the name of it, but it, the film that followed... Living in Oblivion. Living in Oblivion is yes. exactly it. <laughs> Sillo made a film called Living in Oblivion that was almost like a kind of fictionalised retelling of what an absolute nightmare it was working with Brad Pitt yeah. on Johnny Suede. Like this... this <laughs> This Hollywood brat who was just impossible to deal with. I really, every now and then when I watch a Brad Pitt film, that film comes wafting back (laughs) into my my brain. And that is the Brad Pitt. It's the Tom DeSillo, Johnny Suede Brad Pitt that feels like he is in War Machine. This is like a memory just came yeah. washing over me when well, you said we all, that yeah, as
1: well. Yeah, the, the 90s were our ear. Johnny right? Sweat, I
0: mean, mm. Johnny Sweet doesn't get the love that I think it needs. Agreed. <laughs> just for Nick Cave. He's so, and I'm not a huge Nick Cave fan, but that j- giant white quiff.
1: And he looks like Jim Jamoosh. He's Jim unbelievable. Sh- yes. And he a some Marvin. ridiculous song. He He's a son of Lee Marvin. I think that's why I watched it. I think yeah. I watched it at the time because I was a Nick Cave fan. I think I did and too. I was just, yeah, <laughs> hungry for everything and was really yeah. delighted by this he strange crush, American I mean, indie. Yep, yeah. i can't Yeah. Oh, God,
2: I think I think the 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 moment. Well, this film, like you said, um, going back to the film, actually, War Machine, like you said, um, Alex, the um, the tone was just really out across the whole thing, and that uh, it kind of became. It went from a sort of comedy, trying to be a comedy, to something. I don't know. The narration left, and then there was something far more serious. There was co- some combat stuff, the action and stuff, the in like
0: the. Lo- I mean, I felt that this went too long. It just dragged and dragged and dragged. And by the time the actual combat stuff came in, like the kind of nitty gritty war is hell. Yeah. It was so late in the film. It was, and it's actually, like, I kind of don't really care what happens to these it felt smug like we'd pricks. Like, We've gone exactly. It's like See oh, we're going to do this now. I'm an hour and a half into the film, and we're going to do this now.
1: It's a good point because I mean, I think part of the idea behind War Machine was that for a lot of people who are fighting wars, they do do nothing for most of the time. It's long periods of nothing and then you get to the action, which was something Terence Mallet captured amazingly in The Thin Red Line. Um, that's the other film this reminded me of was Buffalo Soldiers from 2001, oh, yes. which yeah. I think is a heavily underrated but film. I think that's
2: a great movie. Yeah, was no, Neil Marshall. Yeah, yeah,
1: that's right. Neil Gregor Marshall? Jordan. Oh, Gregor
2: Jordan. Sorry, Australian Yeah, director. Australian yeah, director. what am I talking about? It's early yeah.
1: film with... What's his name? Walking um, Phoenix at a Harrison and a, right. a Paquin are in it. Yeah. And that was setting, if I remember correctly, East Germany, an American yeah. base in East Germany. was a closing
2: night of myth on that particular year just so you know your employers Thomas
1: <laughs> they, they screened that it was again before my time but wow it
2: was but i think
1: i think that film dealt with the whole monotony or however you want to pronounce it yeah. and, and boredom <laughs> of being a soldier in an area where there's no actual combat mm. and i kept on thinking about how well they kind of spiced up the narrative with with uh, with absurdist events and i just uh, felt I war think- machine f- Fell yeah. very short of that. I
0: think that there were what made it so frustrating for me is that there were these little glimmers of real artistry and real sparkle. Mm, yeah. There's a there's scene. There's some good
1: stuff in there. There's yeah. a scene
0: where he's having a conversation with a farmer about um, about their crops, and the guy's explaining to him why they grow heroin. That was great. And the American <laughs> policy that excludes them from growing other crops. Yeah, cotton explicitly, cotton. I think, yeah. It's just—it's a beautiful yeah. scene. It's beautifully shot. It's beautifully written. And it's one of the very, very rare moments that, that Pitt actually holds back. It's really the guy that he's talking to who has the punchlines, who has the zingers. And, and the it's, it's just this little glimmer of what this film could have been if it wasn't this sort of committee, you know, these sort of different people trying yeah. to pull mm-hmm. it into different directions.
1: The other great moment is, as well is when Pitt's character is explaining if you kill the population, the enemy grows. And he has this very... For somebody who's an expert in war, a very humane, based on logic, approach to war. And that stuff was so rich and so interesting.
0: You know that there was a script, that the original script that Michaud wrote for this, must have been... Amazing, like yeah. really, like there's something here that really. Yeah, I mean, it's. An I amazing want to know story. the story we're behind this production, but, but it
1: feels like it got yeah, derailed want, from the original yeah, vision. Yeah, I want it? to
2: know the story behind the production. I feel that that's a more interesting thing than what we're actually seeing on screen. But, but can I just say, I did get a thrill out of seeing um, Anthony Michael Hall, and who is the actor who plays Cameron from Ferris Bueller's Day Off? It was like <laughs> a little bit of a um, John Hughes. Kind oh, of who was that? Love What's his Griffin, name?
1: Griffin Dunn's in there as well. Yeah. I got excited Dunn. by him.
2: His name is oh, Alan Ruck. He played Cameron in, so, and of course, Anthony Michael Hall was in 16 Candles. I and love Anthony. Different. Anthony <laughs> yeah.
0: Michael Hall was in a film that I think we did last year called Results, the Guy Pierce. Oh, yeah. Um, mumblecore Comedy,
1: the American um, and he's anti-rom-com. amazing. Yeah, yeah it's was, such I a really gorgeous little film. film. It yeah. was a very
0: small film, and I liked yeah. it for its scale. Yeah. Guy Pierce was amazing in it, but yeah, Anthony Michael Hall was kind of what took me to that film, and yeah. certainly was the highlight. I love watching. He's so different from what he was like in those in oh the my olden God, days. God, yeah, he looks um, like if you look at yeah, him that, now. That's a
1: radical career turnaround. Isn't he's it? amazing. Yeah.
0: You would think that he was
2: as a kid the jock. Yep, which was. That was the character he was playing. What was his character?
0: Because we haven't Hughes even films. mentioned the Breakfast Club. He was the, he was the nerdy well, he, he guy he in was the Breakfast ar- Club. He was
1: the archetypal nerd of John yep. Hughes films. What was
0: that character's name? I oh, can't remember. You know, what was the know, film I I that turned it around them. Them.
1: for him was Edward Scissorhands, where he played the villain. He played That's the douchey, jock villain in that, yeah. Edward Scissorhands. So
2: the Tim Burton fan I would comes out with that in.
1: I love the fact that I'm overly, overall sympathetic, and I quite like Tim Burton. Makes me the fan by today's context. <laughs> yes, <you are. laughs> He's so out of favour, but I love Edward Scissorhands and Guy Pearce, of cool. course, starred in Animal Kingdom and The Rover. We've gone full circle. There you go. It Cycle all comes of life.
0: Cycle together. of life.
1: War Machine. If you are interested, and I think it is a film of interest, even though we clearly didn't love it, is available on Netflix right now. You're listening to Plato's Cave here on Three Triple R.
0: You're listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3RRR in Melbourne, Australia.
1: Neruda is the latest film by Chilean filmmaker Pablo Lorraine. To be... Now, I've said that differently twice in the show already. Is it Lorraine or Lorraine? I L- call
0: him Lorraine.
2: Lorraine.
1: Lorraine. That, that, that looks great. Can you
2: roll your R's? <laughs> God, Lorraine. No. It's a double R. Lorraine. You need to roll your R's. I can't. No,
1: God, no. It's the latest uh, film by Pablo please. Lorraine, yeah. Please. Latest film, we should say, to be released in Australian cinemas this year because it was made before Lorraine's other film from 2016, which was Jackie, uh, his first English language film. And Jackie, we did discuss briefly in February. I think it was released in January this year. Yeah. Neruda is a film about Pablo Neruda, played by Louis Neko. The Chilean poet and Communist Party senator uh, in post World War that was Neruda, War
0: not Neko, who's a Communist Party. Just clarify which
1: one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't yes. know about I don't know about we're Mr. talking Neco. about the f- <laughs> character.
1: We're talking about the fictional fictional character. This is set just after World War II, to, to give you the context. So he he was a Communist Party senator just after World War II. He originally supported the presidency of Gabriel González Videla, who uh, Videla that is was initially aligned with the left. But Neruda then became vocally critical of both the Soviet regime in Russia and Videla's presidency. When communism was outlawed in Chile, um, Neruda sort of went on the run. He kind of preferred to then pop up in the public eye rather than completely go into hiding, and this was to taunt his pursuers. And in the film, those pursuers are led by a fascist police chief played by Gail Garcia Bernal, who may or may not be completely incompetent. Now, this is far from being a traditional biopic. Neruda is increasingly playful about how cinema portrays historical events. It's really interesting you made this in the same year as Jackie because I think both films are grappling with the idea of memory and how how historical events are portrayed in cinema but in very, very different ways. So, Alex... Should we just declare that I know you were quite a big fan I of Neruda? I was. I think
0: we have to um, say from the outset, Cerise, who is not with us tonight, uh, <laughs> yes. was not a, f- a fan of this film. <laughs> so you can just, um, I'm, while, I, while I say good things about it, just imagine that Cerise is interrupting and throwing things at Should me para- I'm, I'm
1: going to paraphrase the email she sent us, which was, <laughs> has it, anyone seen Neruda yet? It's Pants, isn't it? Pants, 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 pants. Or is it?
0: No, no, I think she ended up with <laughs> yes. Pants. Uh, I, I think, think she I ended end up with Pants. I think she was a P.S. Pants. Neruda, pants. Yeah, and it was a yeah. uh, well-made said. <laughs> pants. Is still pants. I think was the Howard verdict.
1: So we've got two extremes. We know Cerise really wasn't a fan. Alex, you are. You're going to tell us why, and then Emma, and we shall see what we the both think. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we are holding out mysteriously <laughs> with our verdict.
0: I love this director. I absolutely adore Pablo Larraín. Uh, his film No from 2012. No, no, it's earlier than that, isn't it? When was No made?
1: Oh, maybe. Uh, n- um, not too much earlier. It's,
0: it's just one of my favourite yeah, films of a the last decade. I yeah. think it's just the most mm. extraordinary film and that has um, Gail Garcia-Banell in it as well. Um, and as far as I'm concerned, that film is almost like a free... Like, it, it's a free pass. Like, he can kind of just... He's just always going to be a great filmmaker to me now because of that. I wasn't that crush hot on Jackie. I admired its craft, but I think that that's a very difficult film to watch if you're... Uh, I, I just found that the star presence of Natalie Portman... Kind of took me away from her being Jackie O. It just felt um, like Natalie Portman playing Jackie
1: O. I so See, I know
0: that you really liked I'm, it. But it's
1: probably still my favorite film of the year. Jackie, I, I adore really? it. Yeah, I'm really? Yeah. I'm really, i disengaged from Port. Mm.
0: I'm, I'm, when I see Portman on screen, she's just one of those actors that I'm always aware that I see Portman on screen. I never can disconnect.
2: I believe the from words the were her. acting with a capital, capital a. a. Yeah, yes.
0: yeah. Um, but this this film, <laughs> <Boo>. <laughs> this film, I really didn't know what to expect. Um, and what I really like about both this and Jackie in that when he approaches biopic territory is his sense of scale. Um, I think that he, you know, there's a there's a kind of logic. You can't, you know, that kind of um, cradle to grave biopic. What are you doing? You know, you can't, yeah. are you a Wikipedia entry or are you a goddamn piece of, poetic visual art you know like let's go with it um, If you're going for the oscars though that's what that's you go for yeah the, the you know once upon a time so i really like that with jackie and Naruda, he's okay he just takes a little different angle it's either a little slice of of, of their life or like a little window that gives you some insight it's and ca- I think that's capturing beautiful. the
1: person for a it specific is, moment is in their and life I love that this and film, I, yeah that's my preferred i don't think
0: that you could do too. you could not do the life of pablo Neruda in two hours. No. You just couldn't do it and do it justice. And I love that this film starts from that assumption and decides to play with that by basically turning it into almost a caper film, like a chase film. Mm. It's a between cat, it's definitely a cat and
2: mouse Yeah, film. between yeah. Um,
0: mm. him and, and gal Garcia Bernal. And look, Neko is amazing. They were both together in No. Um, and Bernal is, I, I just love watching him on screen. I think he's such an interesting actor. Um, and, and Lorraine is perfect with him because he understands Bernal's sense of scale. And I find it really interesting that a lot of sort of little actors, even going back in history, you know, Alan Ladd and people like that, Tom Cruise, you know, they really push to look like the big men on film. But Bernal seems to be really comfortable with being a little guy. You're talking literally yeah. a little yeah, like in he's, he's, he's short. Yeah, he's He's a short dude. Yep. And I love how Lorraine and, and Bernal together really work that and they work it in a way that, that you usually work big men, you know, so Vincent Price or Robert Mitchum, you know, these tall actors. Um, and they just—they just exactly. <laughs> but these guys, they—I I can't think of any other director who can affectionately use a small man's size so effectively.
2: That's but a he's, great observation.
0: Um, he's yeah. so—he's so Hispanic though, and
2: Latin men are small men, and that's the record. I, it, there was even a line in No where where um, he, partner mentioned that in his political campaign he chose a um, tall person and she said that doesn't work because Latin men or Chilean men are small men. So it's that recognition of, of them as a culture and as a person or a people. Um, and I think that he he does, in terms of what you were saying as well, Alex, he really, um, he, 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 I, I love, I, I'm the... Greatest cynic of biopics, and he actually makes me love biopics. I feel, yeah, I feel yeah, the same. Even though yeah. I'm kind of
0: wobbly about Jackie, I do feel the same.
2: Yeah, yeah, and I mean, he's he's in terms of what he chooses to do with his cinema, um, he's very obviously very political. I mean, every film he has made has been a political film, so you could say that there's a constant theme right across everything that he's doing. Yet every film is so different in the storytelling, in in the, the actual verbal storytelling and also in the visual storytelling. I mean, not one of these films looks the same. Even Jackie is a political film. Even when he ventures into um, English language, it's a political film. Mm. Oh, yeah. But obviously the Chilean politics is something that is very passionate to him and he's imparting a lot of information here. And this film is a film that hits the ground running. I mean, I, I suggest to everyone, especially if you can't speak Spanish, um, have a little meditation beforehand, clear your mind, get centered, get ready to step in there and start going because you're going to have to consume a lot of information. If anything, that's what I found was quite frustrating as an English language speaker with a very rudimentary rudimentary, um, knowledge of Spanish that... um, I was kind of seduced by the visuals and I wanted to look at what he was showing because this is a very cinematic film. It's got this beautiful washed kind of um, tone to it, visual tone to it. Um, And I'm looking at the visuals, I'm reading subtitles, I'm missing things. It's a type of film that you do have to, I think, watch a second time in order to get the full impact of it. And it's also got a lot of cutting in it, um, which is... Not necessarily something that he will do. This is a different, a stylistic thing that he does in this film. Uh, a lot of jump cutting, so there, there's the visuals are changing all the time, so there's a lot of distraction there.
0: I think some really remarkable sequences actually with the editing, like cutting, like having conversations that take place in two locations. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. cutting between. He the, did a bit between. of that it's in really, no,
2: but yeah. more in this. this. More in
1: this. The editing is this yeah. in this is often impossible. So it's characters will be having a conversation and they'll just cut to all these different settings and scenes, yeah. and and this is one of the yeah, we spoke about how we like the biopic where it's about a concentrated period of time that somehow reflects the person in general he, he also does impressionist filmmaking so it gives you a sense of maybe the chaos and the fragmented, fragmented nature of these people's lives in a time of incredible uncertainty where they're being moved around from location to location I would so he captures that really well I mean, I was with Emma, I I really was playing catch-up rapidly with this film, but I think that's because he doesn't pander to non-Chilean audiences. He's (laughs) not going to give you a scrolling text at the top telling you this is the historical context. Once upon a time there was
0: a man called Pablo Neruda. Yeah. Yep.
1: But at the same time, and similarly to No, I sort of felt myself getting up to speed pretty during the course of the film. I think it's very subtle the way he puts the information in. Mm. Um, look, one critique I have of this film, if anything, is that I think, again, some of the, the politics are quite explicitly kind of stated, especially in the first, say, half hour, where they they really emphasise the fact that, um, you know, the, the, the people who originally supported the Soviet regime and communism have, have now turned against their, their leaders. And, and this idea as well of... Um, People from the Communist Party are living a life of absolute luxury that's far removed from the working class they supposedly mm. representing and and that idea is articulated far better later in the film where a, a woman actually confronts him and there's that great scene where she says in your communist ideal are people going to yes, be all like you or great. all like me I
0: love and that, I she, that was a, she was a cleaner is that right? She yeah. Was like yes, a, that yeah. later a,
1: stuff was far more effective than some of the more didactic stuff at the start. Because yeah. he, he
0: was pretty bougie. He lived a pretty bougie life oh, yeah, exactly. and the film is very explicit great. about yeah. that Yeah. Um, it's interesting um, just going back Thomas to what you were saying about the that sort of um, that particular editing um, trick that he had that we were talking about, where he would have the same conversation but cut between have the same characters in the same conversation but cut between different locations. For me, it's almost part of what you were talking about in terms of his uh, Lorraine's broader work with with memory and reliability, and I think that Naruda plays with that very explicitly. So when the uh, when I got lost in Naruda with the political nuance, yeah. I think it was this bigger meta story about historiography and about the way that we tell the story of history mm. through things like the biopic that really had me totally in. Um, yeah. So with that sequence in particular, it's how do we know which one was real? How do we know which one is the true one? This idea of truth yeah. and fiction in a biopic, he's kind of deep deconstructing it while we're watching the oh, exact movie he, he, and
1: it gets more and more explicit I mean, the it, yeah, really, a, it really affected
0: me and i think it especially i mean where this film goes i don't think anybody could guess <laughs> and we won't no. spoil it but, uh, I, but it's very much a film about a, a, a small man who wants to be big and a big man <laughs>
1: who, <laughs> who wants to disappear who's, who's who's maybe. Quite
0: happy
2: with the yeah i mean uh, it's, yeah. who has a who has a very charismatic comb over
0: I, <laughs> I did. I did use the word "sexy Flacco." Yes, I think that did come flaco. up when I was describing uh, Louis, Louis, Louis Neko Louis Neco as Naruto. Yeah. I will put it down officially. He's a very charismatic sexy flaco. man. Not I flaco Flacco's not sexy.
1: I f- yeah, okay, I found this film both equally delightful and infuriating. Like, there were so many bits that made me sit up and say, oh, what a joy. This is cinematic pleasure and brilliance. And there are other bits where I was just thinking, okay, can we move on? Were you with Cerise on pants Really? There? really? <laughs> yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll alternate between I really like this to, to pants. Um, and I, I love
0: that that's our new scale. <laughs> <Pants>. <laughs> a bong pack <laughs> to
1: pants. Um, bong I, And I found maybe pants. the last half hour really annoying. I thought it was a film very much guilty of false endings. Syndrome, and I think it was even playing with that quite deliberately. But it just went on and on and on. Having said that, the, the scene that is the very very last scene it made me kind of giggle in delight. Delight. So I did. I did like where it got to eventually. But it was a film that I, yeah. the equal parts infuriating and delighted.
2: What did you think of his little stylistic thing with the cars? He there were a lot of cars journeying shots, which is no doubt cr- creating that you know that movement from with the. Back from yeah. Very oh, obvious back production. Okay,
1: I was gonna say one thing I like about Lorraine is he captures the the, the cinematic look of the period. Like with Noah he had the crappy videotape. With Jackie he had the sort of the thirty five mil film that may have been used for TV uh, footage. And in this in this film he kind of captures, I suppose, the um he kind of has the cinematic look of the era. So he uses that in a way that often annoys me. I've used the expression retro wank before. <laughs> it's for like an
0: Instagram th- filter for cinema. Th-
1: th- this yeah. new trend of if you make a film look like a film from the past or a genre from the past everyone goes nuts and it kind of annoys me an awful lot. Um... Mm-hmm. I love this film with the exception of that back projection I so thought So you really was, didn't like I it? I thought it was retro wank. There
2: you go. It, it I reminded loved
1: it. me of François Ozon. I, mean, <laughs> I, I mean again I'm, I'm kind of on my own here. I'm not a big fan, fan of François Ozon, but I think Ozon often t- takes the piece out of cinema and has a real contempt or kind of mockery for it by deliberately making clunky bad cinema. And it, it, it th- those shots felt like that to me. It annoyed me.
0: Really? I think I mean maybe I'm maybe I'm over overstating it but I think it's that a small for, detail for, for it's Lorraine very, it's a very small detail
1: I think that for Lorraine and Naruto, <laughs> it, that it really me.
0: is that, that really consistent demand that we question the authority of the biopic mm. and I think that he's constantly deconstructing That's a the good film call. itself good call. Yep. it's like look how fake it looks like, mm-hmm. look, how, look how corny this is. Look how fake it looks. I'm with you and, on that, and, Alex. But he, he does that in one way yeah. and then and then he's like, hey, here's Pablo Picasso. So even if you've never heard of Neruda before, there's a couple of scenes with Picasso. And I don't think you can watch this film. And even if you don't really know that much about Picasso, you're like, oh, I know Picasso. <laughs> I know that name. <laughs> he was a real guy. I've never heard of Neruda before, but I know who
1: Picasso is, so it must be real.
0: And then it's like, no, 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 it's not real. I,
2: I think he also creates a real stylistic palette for each film that he makes.
1: Yeah, which is really exciting yeah. for a director to do, yeah. It Exactly, and yeah. that's
2: part of that and, and also, you know, pertaining to the period, as you yourself said, uh, yeah.
1: Thomas. I, look, I overall liked it. I, I didn't enjoy it nearly as much as No or, or, or Jackie, but I think it's a good film. I'm not
0: sure if anybody's ever going to come up to know Lorraine, um, Lorraine or anybody. I think it's just No just a Yes, cracker Seek, of seek No Out.
1: Sure. I know it is available on home entertainment in Australia. It's, it's a hell of a film it's uh, you know one of the best summaries of capitalism I've ever seen in cinema. In that and film. it's especially
0: now. I think it's so topical. It's such not It's really in terms topical of fake now. It's news. It? You know, if, you, yeah. if you're interested in the contemporary that's, that's good international point, yeah. contemporary political climate, No is not about the past. It's a film about the present.
2: It's actually on Google Play, and it's classed as a. It's under the um, category of documentary. No <laughs> I thought it was really interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> Meanwhile, I wonder what we're going to get. I, I think I've offended Francois Ozon fans tonight and cosplayers, and I can tell you <laughs> which one will get the most hostile emails and phone calls from. I, I didn't mean that. I just sort of jumped in. The oh. phone actually started ringing the moment I made that comment about cosplayers. Really? So I'm just going to say, and I'm only joking, I don't hate cosplayers. <laughs> it's more an association thing with we a couple of people cosplay. who are twitching. What
0: about
1: Ozon? You're you going to take that back to you? Ozon. Like I, I, <laughs> I've just stopped watching Ozon films. I know they're not for me. I that's, love swimming. That's pool. me being diplomatic. Dress up like a cartoon character, go nuts. Three. Triple. Ah. Last week on Plato's Cave, we discussed Rashomon, the earliest film that is part of the essential Kurosawa selected by David Stratton season that is currently screening at the Australian Centre for the Moving Image. Tonight, we're going to talk about the most recent film in that program, which is Ran, from 1985. It's an epic film in every sense of the word and very much regarded as Kurosawa's last great film. The title run is derived from the Japanese character for Chaos and the film is a really grand retelling of the Shakespearean tragedy King Lear. The story remains very close to, the, to Shakespeare's play, even though there are a number of gender flips and changes to some of the relationships. It's still about an ageing ruler who divides his territory among his three children, who in Rana all young men. So the old and foolish warlord then banishes the one son who cares enough for him to speak to him plainly, leaving him at the mercy of his ruthless and cruel two other sons who start to tear his kingdom apart. This has been a holy grail film for me that I've always wanted to see and circumstances completely thwarted me for one reason or another. I've owned it on DVD for like 15 years. Needing sleep. That's things. I f- just I don't know why I've never been able to properly watch it and appreciate it, but I've finally done it and it's a bloody great film. It's <laughs> a
0: long film. I'm you know? new to it yeah. as well. and it, I mean, it was kind of, yeah, it was, of, yeah, it was okay. like yeah. obviously it was going to be great because it's Kurosawa, like, yep. you know, we're already dealing, you know, with somebody who... Nope. Playing pretty good yeah. game on the cinema front, but yeah, I had no idea that it was like it's like oh, I get it, I get why everybody's so
1: mental for this film. It's incredible. I'm not, a, as a rule, a big fan of historical epics. I mean, th- this film reminded me of the kind of thing my father loves. If, if it's over two and a half hours and set in the past, my dad goes nuts. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I remember when Lady Gator came out and danced with Wolves. It was like, yes, <laughs> make room, Lawrence of Olivier, uh, Lawrence of Olivier, Lawrence of Arabia, <laughs> and Ben Hur. I've got Dances with Wolves now. Um, so this is the kind of film I associate with my dad but i think this is so much more satisfying than a lot of those english and british (laughs) a lot of those american and british epic films and i think it's the contrast between the stillnesses and the silences and then the grand scale of violent tragedy which is played for the emotion of the a moment rather than let's enjoy watching people getting arrowed and Cut and pe- there, there, cut is the a, there is
0: a montage action sequence early in this film that is really unlike anything I've ever seen before. Yeah, like, yeah. It's like all those cliches, like on the edge of my seat. Yeah, like just uh, this mm. is what cinema's about. And like you this feel is the
1: tragedy, just of the what's intensity happening. Yeah. of it,
0: the intensity. Yeah. And it's got a, it's
2: got beautiful vermilion blood. I mean, oh, I think that someone should write... Uh, no doubt someone has I done a PhD done, yeah. on blood in cinema, but you know this what? is beautiful, for It's so blood. funny that
0: you, that you picked that up because it reminded me when I was watching it of that famous um, Jean-Luc Godard quote, which is, it's not... I think it was The Detective, I'm not sure what film he was talking about. It was one of his 80s films, I think. But he says, his big famous quote is, it's not blood, it's red. Yeah. And that's exactly what yeah. the Blood in Kurosawa's run is like. It's like, I remember looking at it going, oh, it's not blood, it's red. Yeah. I love the colour in this film. And it, this sounds like I'm joking, but my, honest to God, my favourite colour palette for cinema is best described as 80s tracksuit pastels. <laughs> um, and this film is like, the, it's, it's 80s tracksuit colours. I love it. Yeah. There's the opening scene when they're sitting in, the, in these beautiful green yeah. hills yeah. Yeah. and they're all wearing these kind of, you know, the, the suns are all wearing a distinct colour. Yeah. And it's like this is my this film is my dream eighties tracksuit. <laughs> mm. This is a quote that you're not going to get on the DVD no. packet or the poster. No. Yeah.
1: But also the acting is really strong, and you've got mostly naturalist get naturalistic acting with the very significant exceptions of the guy playing the king lear character so the, the the main patriarch who's got a very stylized way he's made up an axe and and the woman who takes sort of the edmund role the one who's conniving from the sidelines she's
0: incredible causing all, and she's kind of court jester she's the like fool. a ghost
1: she's mm. just and she's so evil in mm, <laughs> the way mm. she manipulates everybody
0: i love the um the full yeah. character is played by a chap called peter who was quite famous. Yes. Um, he's a sort of singer, actor on a lot of like variety shows and what stuff. And he was um, op- what he's openly... What role does he play? Sorry. He plays the fool. He's the fool. Yeah, I so he was very sort of queer. Because I wondered Peter was. Very kind yeah. of known as this very queer kind of ah. popular pop culture figure in Japan. Okay. And his yeah, yeah, um,
1: he's, he's acting a bit removed from everybody so else's he, again, He, he would it? have been very yes. recognisable
0: to Japanese audiences at the time. Yeah. So he was called Peter because of um, Peter Pan. Yeah. And that he would wear these very flamboyant clothes and this sort of, kind he was of always sort of summers. Flicks his ponytail. Yeah, so he was, he yeah. he would have had very like really specific meaning for and for the, audiences at the time. And in that Japan.
1: character is treated much better than the fool in Shakespeare's play does as well. well I mean the, the fool the fool just disappears from King Lear. So the it's thing great is, seeing that character brought to fruition.
2: I don't think the fool actually exists in Imperial Japan. So that was something that would would have been a sort of interesting addition to them. I mean, the, the ah, film itself, the,
1: the court jester idea, the court jester yeah. idea
2: that doesn't exist in um, imperial Japanese society. So huh. it would have been a really that would have really stood out as a character to them. I think it also wasn't. It wasn't solely on King Lear. It was also around um, samurai legends. Yeah, as there well. was another
0: a couple of legends. I think specific yeah. scenes were based on very specific yeah. legends yeah. and things. But yeah, it, it exactly.
1: sticks to King Lear pretty closely. King Lear is my favourite Shakespeare, and it's oh, one okay. of the few. Shakespeare's I've really studied and thought a lot about, and this sticks very closely to it, and a lot of the symbolism comes out of um, a lot of the symbolism in King Lear is there in Ran as well. All the talk about, you know, the, 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 the gods tormenting us for their, their pleasure. Yeah. I'm, I'm paraphrasing Shakespeare at the moment, but that idea is in there, this kind of fury at the heavens of why are you torturing us, well, lots and of, the idea of the tempest, this storm is coming.
2: storms, say, yeah. Lots of clouds, beautiful, beautiful. And so That's all there in King Lear. Yeah. All yeah. looking towards the sky. But this is also for, for me I, I like uh, I tend to like a close up in a film and this film does not have any close-ups. Quite, quite deliberately, in yeah. In fact, its it's close-ups are probably uh, more mid-shots and um, it takes a very removed view, of, like a stage-like view of looking at the at, at everything and it's so powerful in, in the way that it does that. But um, it's interesting because Kurosawa used to, right from the start, right from, you know, before Rashomon um, was a painter and he used to actually um, paint all his storyboards so he realised all these films in still images Um, before filming them and you can really see that come out I think in in Ran and at the time when he was making this film he was almost blind, so they re- really relied on his actual um, paintings to. And, and, and the film does unfold like that. It is like looking at a series of paintings.
1: Oh, it really is. Yeah. I, I wonder also that lack of close-up is because this is a nihilistic film. I mean, this mm. is there is tragedy in it, and you feel empathy for characters, but this is a, a, a film of an, in an indifferent universe. I mean, we looked at Rashomon, which is. A film about people questioning what is the point of humanity and having absolute moments of despair, but by the end they find hope again, and that hope is there in a lot of Kurosawa's films, despite what has come before it. This film really is just a kind of bleak Mm. Um, you know, it's all chaos and violence.
0: And what what I find so extraordinary about this film? How long is it? It's almost three hours long. Isn't it? It's almost three hours. Like, yeah, I, two film. and three quarters, I, I, I think. have a pretty low attention span. Um, I get pretty <laughs> I do cranky. After, I get my blood sugar drops after ninety yeah. minutes. And um, this film does not miss a beat. There is not one wasted shot. There is not one wasted line of dialogue. It is it is just so on the money. The energy and the it's just such a dynamic film. Mm, it doesn't God, film, yeah. feel like it's made by an older filmmaker.
1: No, it doesn't feel like a film made by an older filmmaker. It doesn't feel like a long film. This is, this is amazing. Yeah. It's
0: dynamite. Yeah, I'm
1: little, so glad I finally saw it. Yeah, it's just <laughs> dynamite.
2: And a little bit of trivia, his wife dropped, died during the filming. How rude. And he, uh, ap- he apparently only took one day yeah, off. Yeah, I've heard
1: this story. He took yeah. one day off. Yeah, one day
2: off and then went back to f- filming. So this is kind of epic in so many ways.
1: Yeah. Wow.
2: Mm.
1: Run is screening once more next Saturday afternoon. The first screening is actually right this moment, so if you're listening to this podcast or this show, you've you've missed the first screening. But it's it's screening next Saturday afternoon as part of the Essential Kurosawa selected by David Stratton, season at the Australian Centre for the Moving Image, courtesy of Studio Canal. There's quite a few of the other films left that have still got screenings. I think they're, look, I won't go through them all now. They're all worth it. Absolutely, delve into Kurosawa if Get you haven't done that yet. We also spoke about War Machine. That's a next Netflix original, currently available on Netflix. And Neruda is on limited cinema release, courtesy of Palace Films. You've been listening to Thomas Codwell, Alexandra Helen Nicholas and Emma Westwood on Plato's Cave. The podcast version of the show is edited by Faith Everard. This has been a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.